Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada. Meet Mark Elward, Senior Competition Law Officer at Competition Bureau Canada, with the second of a series of four episodes created to help us understand the laws governing and protecting retailers. If you want to learn more about the Competition Bureau and how it operates, tune into the first episode of the series to learn all about it. In this episode, Mark takes us through the law and perspectives around price fixing, collusion, and cartel behavior investigations. Let's listen in now. Mark, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? Hi, Michael. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, fantastic. Now, for my listeners, this is another in a series of episodes brought to us by Competition Bureau Canada with the objective to inform and educate retailers and the retail industry on competition regulations and laws. Now, for those that missed the first episode in the series where uh, Mark, one of your colleagues, told us all about the Competition Bureau itself, I'll put that link in the show notes. So, Mark, you and I can just dive in to uh, more about you and, and your specific area of practice. Tell us about yourself. Like, how did you get to the Competition Bureau? What's your background? And then uh, tell us about what you do for a living. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a Newfoundlander first and foremost, uh, born in a small town called Stephenville. Um, but I was raised in St. John's, which as far as Newfoundland goes, is the big city. I did my undergraduate degree at, in commerce at Memorial University in St. John's. And right after that, I didn't waste any time. I went straight to law school at the University of New Brunswick. And when I was there, uh, during my third year, I actually did an elective uh, studying competition law. And that was my first exposure to the topic we're going to talk about today. But before I got really involved in that, uh, in, in, in that concept, I, I came back to um, St. John's and actually practiced there uh, doing kind of everything that a junior lawyer is expected to do uh, mm-hmm. for a brief period of time. And then uh, in July 2016, I got a job uh, with the Competition Bureau, which involved a move uh, from St. John's to Ottawa, which um, I know Torontonians view Ottawa as a uh, small, boring city, for, but for a Newfoundlander, small-town guy like me, this is the big city. So I've uh, been here since, uh, since 2016. I'm really enjoying what I do. I really enjoy the people I work with. You know, I'll get into it a bit later, but uh, mm-hmm. my role as an investigator generally involves uh, interviewing witnesses, uh, executing search warrants. Uh, doing a lot of document review, as you can imagine, from those uh, search warrants, sure. and uh, basically putting the puzzle pieces together to determine uh, facts uh, with respect to allegations of cartel conduct. Now, did you did you uh, say so have both business degree and a law degree? Did you always want to be a lawyer? Was the business degree a path towards business oriented uh, law, or how did that involve? Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so my dad was uh, he had, he had a commerce degree um, and. Uh, so no, no lawyers in the family. So I just kind of did uh, did business as a kind of a safe uh, as a safe path when you're you know 17 and going to university. Um, sure. And as I uh, got got further on in the business degree, I did a few work terms, um, had some exposure to some business law courses, and uh, really it just felt like a natural fit. And mm. uh, I'm not 22 years old. I wasn't ready to enter the workforce, so I decided that more school was uh, was for the best. Um, yeah. So then you know that that law degree then opened up. Uh, a lot of possibilities, you know, obviously, you know, the law firm was the obvious uh, path in the beginning. But um, then, you know, when I wanted to get involved in competition law, it was either you can work, you know, in competition law in some of the uh, the big firms in Toronto. Some other, some other firms do it, but uh, it's mostly based in Toronto. Or you can work uh, for the federal government, which is uh, for, for, the, for my agency, which is the Competition Bureau. So right. Um, right. when I got the opportunity to do that, I, uh, I uh, decided to jump at it. Uh, now, in as in all the discussions the, that we're having today, I think you've got a um, 
what we call it a, a disclaimer. So this uh, discussion, talk about uh, how you would frame this discussion with the listeners. Yeah, I guess that's a lawyer of me being overly cautious, but uh, I just I guess just want to say I guess that you know that my views here don't necessarily represent the views of the commissioner of competition, which is my, my ultimate boss, um, and they should not be construed as legal advice. Uh, so I know it's a bit of a buzzkill, but uh, I just could, couldn't help myself. <laughs> well, all right. Well, that's fine. I think everybody's cool with that. All right. Now let's talk about what your specific area of practice is. This this idea of the cartel and. And that'll help us unwind what is a cartel in the competition sense of the word, and and uh, then we can get uh, further into the discussion. Sure. And to be clear, my role is as, as an investigator and and not as a lawyer. Uh, although many of our investigators are trained as lawyers, um, our what we do is, uh, is is act as investigators. We work with a lot of lawyers, uh, and invo- including the Public Prosecution Service of Canada, who uh, ultimately approve whether. Um, approve or deny whether our charges will go ahead uh, to a formal court proceeding. All right. Let's talk about your specific work, this cartel, and and talk about Mm -hmm. what is it in the competition sense of the word. Yeah. So a cartel, uh, you know, it's a very scary word, but I think it's it's meant to be because ultimately it's it's very bad for, um, for the public, for the economy, uh, for the country ultimately. So, so a cartel in the competition sense is, is basically an agreement any agreement between competitors to fix the price of a product or service, uh, any agreement to allocate customers or markets, or an agreement to control the supply of a product. So I, I know I threw a lot at you there, but I guess an mm-hmm. example, if you want to get into that, is is um, basically you know gasoline retailers. We get a lot of complaints about gasoline retailers uh, as far as, as price fixing is concerned. People see that you know you have two or three gas stations near each other with the same price and and they kind of assume mm-hmm. that there must be collusion happening there yeah, but it's, it's not an offense to price independently or or monitor um what's happening around you as as, as a business um, right w- it becomes an offense when you pick up the phone and actually make that agreement with your competing uh, gas station in that example right um, so it's, it, it so it's a big and it's a very uh, important difference between market assessments and you know, competitive analysis and this collusion that leads to a cartel. Yeah, that's probably a pretty defining thread that runs through how you look at things. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, maybe the, the if there's any lawyers listening to this, they'll probably, you know, think of the term uh, conscious parallelism, um, <laughs> which is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. So, so that, you know, that is when, you know, you're 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 behaving in a way in concert with a competitor, but you've never had a meeting of the minds. You've never you don't have an agreement underlying that. You're just you're you're consciously you know aware of of what they're doing in the market. Um, you may be a less powerful competitor, and you feel like you need to follow um, mm-hmm. the actions of your competitor. That's basically that's that's all well and good uh, as far as the, our Supreme Court of Canada is concerned. Um, and as far as we're concerned, I mean, because uh, ultimately, again, we need that agreement for there to be collusion. And, and that's that's a key piece of our legislation. Now, let's talk about, uh, and we're going to get de- a bit deeper into this, because there's also the, this new idea. I, I don't know if it's a new idea. You talked about goods and services collusion, but also about people. So I'm kind of keen to uh, to get a little bit deeper into that. We talked about that off mic. But uh, let's talk about penalties. Is this a civil penalty? Is this uh, a criminal? Talk about that a bit. No, I, no, definitely not civil. I mean, so I think that's something that people do confuse um, 
uh, they, they're confused about our role and they kind of view us as almost auditors or, or something when we come in for our search warrants. But uh, no, it's a very, you know, very much a criminal offense. It's an indictable mm-hmm. offense. It's one of the most serious offenses in the criminal code, uh, you know, short of short of the uh, the, the violent crimes. Um, so our legislation in the Competition Act, um, I say criminal code, so I should, I should have said the Competition Act is, is actually where the offense lies, although we do use uh, criminal code provisions uh, to assist in, in seeking uh, search warrants from time to time. So really, this legislation is in the Competition Act. That's the main main legislation we use. Uh, it's up to, it provides for up to 14 years in prison uh, for individuals to engage in the offense. And mm-hmm. uh, currently, there's a $25 million limit uh, for the general conspiracy provision. And that's the conduct I was talking about there with the uh, you know agreements between competitors to, to uh, for example, fix prices. Now, now, how do you uncover these? So... Talk about investigative work, uh, and and is there uh, the second kind of part to that? Is is you know are there whistleblower programs or that give immunity? But but talk about the investigative work that goes into discovering or uncovering these uh, these alleged perpetrators. Yeah, so we have what's called an, an immunity program, and that you know I, I would say that that is our most important tool for um, uncovering cartels. Uh, basically, you have to remember that these cartel agreements are, are secret agreements. It's not like people are broadcasting these agreements. These are sure. usually um, no social media. There's no social media I mean, posts on it, LinkedIn it, about it. Hey, I just did does, a great deal. It does. It does happen. I've seen it before. Where there's you know <laughs> a, uh, there's uh, you know a public group where, where there's people there's uh, businesses agreeing, um, usually very unaware of how illegal that conduct is. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess that's probably the reason why I'm here to kind of explain ex- explain yeah, it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, really, the immunity program is is really critical for us because uh, you know because the agreement is usually uh, secret. Um, it's important for us to have people come forward that are actually involved in the agreement. So, what we do is we try and create a race to the door by offering full immunity from prosecution to the first uh, person mm-hmm. or business, uh, sometimes both, that come in and uh, tell us about an offense. And also, you know, that, that involves significant cooperation from them as well in order to get that immunity. Um, mm. So we try and kind of incentivize that cooperation. And then um, I love well, I love that term, by the way, a race to the door. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the idea. And I think, you know, it's been yeah. around for about 20, 20 plus years. Uh, I think the Americans had it uh, first, yeah. but it's um, been a very effective program and uh you know, when when people understand that they can uh, avoid avoid that um, that prosecution, you know, I think it, it can be a very uh, useful useful tool for us to get people to cooperate. Um, and, and similar to that, we have a, what's called a leniency program. So basically, if you miss the, that race to the door to be first, uh, you can still come in and cooperate and get a reduction in in mm-hmm. fines at sentencing. Um, right. Hmm. And so uh, that's it's called, it's called the leniency program, and we uh, and that that works right on down the line. So let's say you have a cartel involving six competitors, you got the first one came in for immunity, and then you have two, three, and four want leniency. Well, the, the first, so the second person there in line will get the biggest reduction in fines usually, and then it'll uh, it'll get you know less and less of a reduction as you as you get later and later uh, in the door. Now, once you once you begin the work, so you you know you as you said you do a lot of reading. Uh, you know, it's certainly you don't need to be a lawyer. It sounds like to do your job, but it's kind of helpful. You know, that kind of uh, appreciation and understanding of of uh, documents and where they come from. Now, as you dig into these cases, talk about the actual work you do to prove a cartel case. 
Yeah, I should say that, um, yeah, so we're not all uh, legally trained. Uh, some of us are, uh, we have a lot of economists as well that also work as investigators. Oh, and uh, I think more and more we're hiring more from the uh, from law enforcement um, backgrounds as well, because ultimately, you know, we, that's, that's what we are. We're, we're investigators. Um, we're dealing with criminal offenses. So, um, so we, we, you know, we have that. But that's usually the background is, is, is those three buckets uh, with some mm-hmm. exceptions for sure. As far as actually proving the case. So, you know, we so we have this these cooperation programs uh, and, I, and I neglected to mention the whistleblower program, uh, which uh, is, is similar in nature, but it. it Basically, it provides protection to an ind- individual who's aware of an offense, and it basically prevents them from being uh, being fired on the basis of, of them reporting that to us. And in addition, uh, we we provide uh, confidentiality guarantees to those those people, so um, so their good, their identity won't be revealed. Um, now, I, I almost hesitate to ask you this question, but are there any examples uh, that you can that come to mind around um, that you can give us just to, to flush out some examples? Something that's happened in the past that you think would illustrate uh, this yeah. uh, the cartel in the retail industry or any industry, really? Yeah, and so I think you know because uh, you know this is this is uh, done through the Retail Council of Canada. I think you know something involving retailers would be uh, would be useful. And I think the the gasoline price fixing case. So I so I did talk about gasoline price fixing in an example where you know in my example it wasn't happening. Now this is a case where it actually did happen, and uh, it started way back in '04. And uh, the last trial actually just finished taking place in 2019. So these things can drag out, as you can imagine, um, as as the various kind of steps in the justice system have have, have different timelines associated with them. But in that case, uh, there were media reports of uh, of possible price fixing, and ultimately, um, our investigators uh, were able to uh, obtain uh, wiretaps from the court uh, to listen to uh, phone calls between gas station operators, huh. and they found that they were calling each other to uh, to uh, you know to agree on price changes in the gasoline industry. The case started off in Victoriaville, Quebec, and then uh, it turned out that the investigation revealed that there was uh, the same kind of conduct was happening in Tepper Mines, uh, Magog, and Sherbrooke uh, on Quebec. Now, you you just said something interesting that there was media reports. Is that a, is that a something you guys keep an eye on? Is uh, some investigative media that that uh, I guess is one of many things that kind of raises your attention? But that was it's interesting. Is that how that all began? Yeah, it is. And so uh, basically, I think in the media report from back then, again, before my time, so I'm going based on, on what sure. others have told me, but I understand that uh, there was a, another gasoline uh, station operator uh, had, you know, basically alleged it, via the media that there was, uh, mm. that these agreements were taking place. Um, so no hard evidence, but we had, we had somebody who was, had gone to the media and said, look, there's, there's something going on here. And, that, and that's enough to start a case for us. We can get uh, calls yeah. from the general public. We have uh, an information center that takes in complaints from the public. Yeah, media reports. We also, you know, this is not so relevant for your audience, but we investigate uh, uh, agreements to rig bids. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, agreements between, let's say, for example, two competing construction companies to um, decide who's going to win a uh, public tender. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll often often work with the provincial governments or municipal governments uh, or or, the, or other arms of the federal government to uh, to to see what's happening in those industries. So I've got a, I, I would say, a fairly diverse group of individuals listening to the podcast, as you would imagine. So there's some people, no doubt, listening that are very steeped in this, very experienced. You know, the larger retailers would have expertise, lawyers, whatever. 
Um, many retailers would not, but they'd be familiar with the ins and outs enough that uh, they would know day to day. But, you know, where I wanted to take this, uh, this has been a great discussion, is um, any changes. So no matter who you are listening to this podcast, uh, are there any changes to uh, your area that people need to know about? Because I think you you indicated there were, and I'd like to dig into that a little bit, just so you know, maybe maybe you're an expert in it, maybe not. But there's uh, there's new rules. There's always new rules, and you know we don't mm-hmm. want anybody to get tripped up by those, right? Uh, for sure. And I think there was a you know a significant round of amendments to the Competition Act that happened actually in uh, June of this year. Um, but the criminal provisions won't come into force until June of 2023. I believe the date is uh, June 23rd, mm-hmm. um, 2023. And the, and the reason they do that is to give businesses and people a chance to um, sort of understand the new provisions, become aware of them. And then, you know, in larger businesses, uh, you know, of course, there may be additional compliance training that gets rolled out. I think one of the key changes there, well, one of them I already kind of went through, which was the uh, removal of the cap on fines. Um, for for cartel uh, conduct, um, but there's also the creation of a new offense. So uh, this is the uh, so-called kind of wage fixing slash no poaching um, offense. Hmm. And so what it, what it does is it prohibits um, employers to agree with each one another to fix the wages that they're going to pay their employees. Uh, and it also uh, and sorry, and sorry that should, that also applies to benefits. So 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 conditions of work. Now it's a criminal offense for two employers to do that. And it's also an offense for them to, uh, to agree not to solicit or poach one another's employees. It, so to be clear, it's not an offense, though, to do a market scan and find out what average wages are, right? That falls into that first part of our conversation where there's a difference between colluding together, picking up the phone, and just doing a market scan maybe by a third person or maybe under an association like RCC. Is that, am I getting that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so really, again, it's the same as the the regular, you know, uh, cartel provision where you need that agreement, uh, meeting of the minds between two employers. So again, you can't, you just can't have two employers get together and say, look, you don't hire my employees. I want to hire yours. Um, mm. You know, cause, cause you can see how that may be tempting to try and protect trade secrets. Uh, but it's uh, ultimately is, is, you know, my, my take on this is it's, it's a, Significant harm to competition, and it really harms the uh, workers' workers' ability to to market uh, their services and to and to get jobs. And so, it really really uh, controls the job market through again this secret cartel arrangement. Um, mm. So that's kind of the that's that's why I believe they made it criminal. Um, and again, mm. that won't come into effect until next year. But uh, you know, I think uh, it, it's, it's a good move mid-year next year now that is different because i think it's under i think some of the uh, maybe it's under provincial because i think ontario passed this around non non-compete agreements in your your labor agreements uh right these we're talking about something different here just just so we most people would be more familiar with that right so that's a different thing than we're talking about here right exactly right now we're talking about that kind of uh, you think about at the same level of the supply chain so you're talking about two two employers meeting together and never really involving the employees. Um, this is the kind of stuff that's now become illegal in a criminal sense. The stuff you're talking about uh, with Ontario changes, uh, this is, these are clauses in individual employee contracts uh, with their employer that often the employer may put in a, or they, they may put in a, a clause that says, uh, you cannot compete with us if you leave 
Um, those are the provisions that I believe the Ontario changes were, were aimed at. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so our legislation doesn't, doesn't deal with that. Um, that's, that's something that the provinces deal with. Um, but whereas the, uh, the wage fixing, no poaching stuff I'm talking about, this is kind of this, this horizontal conduct agreements between employers. That's the stuff that, uh, has become, it will become criminal as, as of June next year. Okay. Now, um, we've given a lot of information. It's been a great discussion because hopefully, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it in such a way that it would kind of either clarify or raise enough questions for people to want to learn more. Where can uh, listeners go to learn more? Uh, you know, like many retailers might not have their own legal counsel or want to, you know, hire outside counsel, but is there resources on the government's website or can, he, can they even call people like yourself when they have questions? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So the website, I think, is probably the best uh, first stop. There's, you know, all kinds of information about our, you know, immunity, leniency, uh, whistleblower programs. That's all that's all online. Yeah, obviously, as far as, you know, I, d- I did mention that we have this portal to uh, to submit complaints. And we also have a, a uh, uh, something on our website where you can uh, request an outreach presentation. So you can request someone like myself to kind of come by and uh, and educate, you know, it could be your business, could be a business association. Most of the time I do them with uh, procurement uh, authorities uh, so mm-hmm. that I can kind of teach them how they can avoid becoming a victim of, 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 uh, of, right. of a bid breaking cartel. But, how to uh, recognize it more of than, there. yeah, how to, how to recognize it, so to speak. Well, that's great. Uh, listen, and this is a great resource too. So it was a great conversation, Mark. I want to thank you for joining me on The Voice of Retail uh, and uh, helping educate the community on, uh, on this area of uh, competition. And, and I want to thank you for... Uh, for your service and then thanks for coming on to the podcast and uh, chitting and chatting and and, and uh, we look forward to uh, continuing talking to your colleagues in this series and and for now i wish you a great rest of your day and and uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast well thanks very much michael i appreciate the opportunity thanks for tuning into this special episode of the voice of retail if you haven't already be sure and click and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so new episodes will land automatically twice a week And check out my other retail industry media properties, the Remarkable Retail Podcast, Conversations with Commerce Next Podcast, and the Food Professor Podcast with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. Last but not least, if you're into barbecue, check out my all-new YouTube barbecue show, Last Request Barbecue, with new episodes each and every week. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc, president of Emmy LeBlanc Company and Maven Media. And if you're looking for more content or want to chat, Follow me on LinkedIn or visit my website at emmyleblanc.co. Have a safe week, everyone.